it was interesting because in the 30 minutes that my mom and my little sister left to go to Walmart to go pick up things, he passed. And he passed after everyone else had sat there and talked to him. Grandma had read him a letter that somebody wrote from the family about the impact that he had on their lives. And slowly but surely, the life just left him. I mean, he was very, very loud and he was in a coma, but he was just breathing, like wheezing. And you could, you could hear the life being pulled out of him. I'm Megan Armstrong. Welcome to Life Six Feet Above. Six Feet Above was created when I started to share my story of spending 16 years wanting to be six feet under to now living a life full and happy six feet above. The more that I started to talk about my journey, my struggles, and my past, the more I realized people were genuinely interested and not judgmental at all, which is what I'd feared for so long. In fact, Other people wanted to talk about their story as well, and for some reason they trusted me to do so. So the Six Feet Above podcast is my way of helping to share other people's stories, finding out what works for them to create a life of happiness. Before we start this episode, I want to let you know it has some explicit language and some very serious subject matter. It may be triggering or sensitive to certain people. Please listen with discretion. This is James's story. Welcome back to the Six Feet Above podcast. We are in episode 36. I'm sitting across from a brand new friend. I'm going to call you a friend because I feel like this is the start of quite the relationship um, through business and professional. And uh, you're just, I'm so intrigued by you already. His name is James Gillespie. That's it. Is that right? First one to get it right the first time. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking the time out. Uh, we actually have a mutual friend, but we just met like 10 minutes ago. That's so. correct. We've never <laughs> met in person. You know, we've um, been internet friends here for a minute. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Maddie, Maddie was on, I forget what episode, but it was this season. And I think we just started kind of following each other through Instagram and, and fitness. You're very involved in fitness in the community. And um, last week, James has, you do a little bit of everything, but you have a podcast and you started to share your story about your dad and what happened to him and and where you were in that period of your life. And I was like, you need to share that story on a longer format. So here we are. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. You're welcome. You're welcome. So tell us a little bit about what you do right now. Where are you at in life right now, James? Okay, so moved to Atlanta in August of last year amidst the global pandemic. Um, started bartending at a bar from a, uh, a close friend of mine that is the manager over there and kind of transplanted my, my whole world. Because before, back up to 2018, I was in law enforcement. Okay. Uh, and I left law enforcement and then went back down the, the path of consulting and doing uh, small business consulting and, and media, photo, video, et cetera. Moved to Atlanta, decided, hey, it's time to get back out of the, the town that I was in, that I grew up in. Right. Because I was just there working at the sheriff's office. Where did you grow um, up? Peachtree City. Okay. So born in Houston, Texas. Okay. And, you know, we were out, bounced between Cypress and Spring, Texas, right outside yeah, Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Family lives in Tomball and, and middle of Houston. So love Texas. Mm-hmm. But um, as I was getting older, we moved to be closer to my older sister, who's my half-sister, Got it. Uh, who is currently pregnant and expecting, which Fun. is amazing. Uh, she is 30. And we moved to Peachtree City to be closer to her so that we could be raised. Okay. And so I grew up in Peachtree City. I went to McIntosh High School. 
Uh, many people in Atlanta know I what that no is. I have no clue what that even means, but I yeah. will, I'm sure somebody uh, listening in, will know. You know, golf cart capital yes, of the world. Yes, I've heard that. Outside that of heard. outside of Ocala, Florida. I mean, Ocala, Florida, and Peachtree City, Georgia. Those are the gal- golf cart capitals. I of, only know uh, Peachtree City because Tyler Perry, obviously. Yeah. Well, like, Tyler Perry is yeah, very close. I that studio like, is. Yeah. I would just like his. Uh, I would like a. A lot at that studio, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So moved to Atlanta in August and kind of jumped back down the rabbit hole of doing media. Uh, started a podcast in 2020 on the back of having private conversations that were to the length of four hours right. with a, a close friend of mine. And we were like, you know, there's value, there's collective benefit to society and to the community that we could develop around having the, the private conversations public. Right. So are your, is the podcast, like this is obviously very much mental health based, mm-hmm. a lot of fitness stuff too, but is there um, kind of a theme throughout or is it really kind of open-ended? So our, I mean, 80-20, optimize yeah. your life. It's yeah. everything optimization. Okay. So we started out with a split of different means and one of one. And those are two subsets of 80-20. And we were going to originally put them out as different podcasts. Uh, I see. As you know, on podcasting, that's mm-hmm. a ton of work. Mm-hmm. So we decided to just change the cover art for whatever the episode more represented. If it was in the creative space, one of one. Okay. If it was on the optimization of life, uh, health, wellness, fitness, mental health, et cetera, yeah. uh, daily routines, habits, et cetera. Uh, different means. So now we have both of those under the same roof, 80-20. And so it's just about optimization of life. And that could be in a lot of different formats. Right. And we continue to expand it. But we do really the only sub-segment we have are the creative side, everything creative. Yeah. And, and business in the creative space, photographer, videographer, uh, audio engineer, et cetera. Yeah. And then optimization of life. Got it. Okay. Okay. So it's a podcast. You also are in photography. Have been for years. Right. Yeah. Uh, started doing that in 2016. Okay. Uh, wanted to make more money when I was in college and decided to pick up a camera. Started doing sorority recruitment videos yeah. and ran down that path. <laughs> um, Wait, where'd you go to school? University of Georgia. And what was your major? Uh, my major was, I went to school to party, but I graduated <laughs> with, um, Who didn't? yeah, I, I was not actually planning to go to college, which is funny, but I graduated with advertising. Okay. So minor in Spanish and minor in studio art, which is how so that some of the sense. photography and, and video and art Got stuff it. came about, uh, graduated with advertising. Well, I'm like very, very intrigued. Um, but will you tell everyone how old you are? 26. I mean, the, the things that you've done already at 26 are pretty outstanding, but you weren't always inspired to make a life for yourself. Is that right? Uh, kind of went down this path. Yeah. Years. I mean, I, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that led me to where I'm at yeah. right now. Uh, I was at some point in my life, I thought I was going to be in the traditional nine to five. Right. But, and I thought that that was going to be post-military. I mean, right. when my dad was around, um, you know, 25 years as a Marine. Yeah. Like, no, the only track that I have is the military. Right, right, right. And then life after the military, probably law enforcement, because everyone in my family was in law enforcement. Right. So running down that path. And uh, as you can see from uh, what we just shared, that's not the yeah, case. Yeah, that is not but the case. But that was where I was headed, Yeah. you know, at 14, 15. Yeah. So tell us about life growing up. Like, what was your family dynamic like? Your parents, uh, there was a divorce, obviously, if you have a half-sibling, So, right? yeah, not a divorce with my mom and dad. Oh, okay. So my dad was married prior I to see. being married to my mom. Okay. Uh, and they had a daughter named Terry. Okay. That's my older sister. Yeah. So my dad remarried my mom, uh, and then I was popped out, and so was my little sister, Hannah. Okay. So growing up, we were raised in a, uh, a very, very... Christian home, mm-hmm. um, and I would say Protestant, not Catholic. The delineation is yeah. important yes, uh, based on beliefs. <laughs> so 
that is the way that I was raised. I mean, the Bible was talked about openly. Christianity was talked about openly. My dad lived in a way in service to others Mm -hmm. and had very strong convictions. And my mom um, kind of followed suit there and and ended up developing uh, very strong convictions herself down that path as well. Uh, So I was raised in a loving home. I mean, there was... If you looked at the trouble I got in with the law when yeah. I was younger, you uh-huh. would say, what is going on in your household? Right. But in fact, mom, dad, love y'all. It wasn't your fault. Right. 100% right. me. When I was a kid, I was just a little rebel rouser. Yeah. You know, I wanted to run around, defy, and uh, that got amplified around the time that I lost pops. But yeah. growing up, I mean, there was there was really no problems. Dad was a pilot. Mom was a flight attendant. That's how they met. Oh, wow. Um, That's so yeah, cool. Yeah, they used to fly together. When I was a kid, we used to get taken to Houston, and they would uh-huh. fly trips during the summer. So my summers were spent back in Houston, so I still have a big tie Got it. to Houston. Got um, it. So how old were you when you moved from Houston to Peachtree? Oh, my mom would tell me I'm a liar because I want to say like <laughs> seven, okay, eight, Okay, so you're pretty young. But we went back. I went. I legitimately went back until probably 12, like every summer, the whole summer. Got it. Um, but every time I talk about that, my mom's like, well, you know. And I, so I have no idea. I have <laughs> zero idea. <laughs> All right, so your parents met. They were both, you know, they were, they were up in the skies flying and it was pretty – you know, I, I always use this term normal, quote unquote, normal upbringing, like nothing crazy happened when you were mm-hmm. younger, you know, I always like to, you know, people, when we talk about trauma and emotion, everyone thinks like, oh, someone who was abused or there was a big life event that might've happened when you were younger. And that's just not the case. Like, like you said, looking at your family, somebody would think something was wrong when you got in trouble in your teenage years. And like, same thing for me with my depression and bipolar and eating disorders, like nothing really traumatic ever mm-hmm. happened to me it just just kind of happened over time and things build up and and we are who we are but unless you're willing to look at that head on you're gonna stay down that road forever or you're gonna go a different road so let's get into your teenage years you're in Peachtree City and where do things kind of go awry uh awry in what like sense? you're you start to get in a little bit of trouble and mm. When I thought I was popular, and I thought the popular thing to do was to get the attention of all the little girls running around. Okay. And so I went down the path of like, you know, 12, 13, yeah. you know, you get into a little mischievous behavior, yeah. you know, set off some fire firecrackers uh-huh. in the sand at the playground. And I know it sounds, you're like, what? Firecracker? 12 years old, you have access to firecrackers right, right, and, right. and what have you from 4th of July and whatnot. Um, so I got into a little bit of trouble, started uh, started painting on things with my hands uh, and mm. some spray paint when I was very young. It's like an att- um, you think it's like an attention thing? Uh, I don't know if it was an attention thing so much as it was there was a group of individuals. There was notoriety around running with a certain pack of individuals, and okay. I desperately wanted to be in that pack of individuals. Got it. It wasn't necessarily the external validation of – the things that came about yeah. in getting there, but it yeah. was the association that I was like, no, I'm one of the cool kids. Got it. Uh, and so I got myself into a little bit of trouble there, yeah. uh, painting on some things that I shouldn't have been painting yeah. on. Uh, but it is it, it is legitimately the first instance that I had uh, and an experience I had in making any kind of art. Like I legitimately spray painted murals. Oh, wow. Like legitimately under bridges and what have you. Uh, or, you know, so to say, I was accused of doing such things. 
regardless, <laughs> um, it uh, it was it was an experience that uh, I if I went back I I wouldn't take it away because yeah. it really led me down a path to then have to realize who I was and what right. I was doing. But it started there, and then you know the party scene. Right. It it seems that younger and younger, and with more access to technology and more access to older brothers, sisters, etc. Uh, and I'll put it on the record that my sister never administered anything to me. She wouldn't. Well, and she was I, younger, right? So it was well, probably... my older sister. Oh, my older sister. the half yeah. sister. My sister got it, that got it, got it. was, you know, eighteen. Yeah. When, when I was when I was fourteen, I was like, Terry, well, what about like some black and miles? You know, like, come on. <laughs> she was like, no, mom and dad would kill me. Kill me, so, yeah, exactly. No. exactly. Um, were your parents were they still traveling a lot? So my mom, yeah. So when we were growing up, when we moved to Peachtree City, and as I was getting older, my dad continued to fly. My mom kind of stayed home. Okay. She still flied enough to keep insurance and still right, flied enough right. uh, to still enjoy it and not leave the job. But more so, my dad was flying. Okay. I mean, he's flying. Uh, he was. They were at Northwest at the time, not at Delta. Got it. Before Delta and Northwest merged, uh, and so he was doing. You know, he was doing turns, and he was also doing international layover layover so trips. He was gone a lot. He was gone a, yeah. a decent bit, but it was never it was never like, hey, I won't see dad for two weeks. Okay. Like I'll see him for a day or two and he'll be gone for a couple more days. I only ask that because again. we hear all these stories about especially young men who mm -hmm. don't have the father figure at home and they get into this kind of trouble. So I'm just kind of wondering like where it stems from. Like you're saying it was really just wanting to be a part of this group. Yeah, it wasn't for for lack of um a paternal Absolutely not, because yeah. Dad was still there. Right. I mean, you know, if I went to, if I woke up to him not there on Monday morning, he'd be back by Wednesday afternoon, Got it. and be there through the weekend. Yeah. So for like your games or whatever you were involved. He was with the one that was practicing with me, yeah. and you know, yeah. when I was, so he wasn't gone. Got it. Uh, but it was almost because he was there, and people looked at him a certain way. I was like, no, I've got to kind of step out of this a little bit, yeah. and go my direction. Did everybody go, know him? Like in your in your. Areas. Everyone in Peachtree City yeah. knows him. I mean, he yeah. was involved in Honeydew. He was involved in, you know, Got a it. lot of charity work. And he was a guy that if you were broken down on the side of the road, didn't matter your skin color, your yeah. age, your gender, what have you, he's pulling over to help you. Aww. Where's he, where guy. was he from? Uh, originally in, uh, I believe, East Point. Just but curious. Uh, his mom and dad are down in Ocala. Oh, wow. Funny enough. Right wow. next to John Travolta, like right down the street. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, so now you're like, 14, 15, mm -hmm. getting a little more in the party scene. Um, let's let's start there. Tell us tell us what's going on at that point. Yeah, in life. so I mean, you know, around that time, that is very close to when my dad got cancer. Mm -hmm. So he had about a three and a half year battle, uh, and you know, one day, I'm part of the cool kids. I'm I I had wrestled in middle school, going into high school, wrestled, played football, did whatever. Uh, was accepted in that crowd, was still kind of on the weekends, you know, when I wasn't doing schoolwork, right. uh, was running around with everybody uh, and thought it was was cool to do this and that. And that is probably when I started pushing off responsibility for a lot of things that I was thinking, that I was going through, that I didn't understand. Yeah, I started kind of skirting responsibility and not in a, hey, it's somebody else's fault, but more so in a, I started to deny to myself mm. that things were going on. Uh, because how could my father, who was running tens of miles a week, right. you know, and was a Marine Corps and can do a right. gazillion push-ups, pull-ups, and what have you, so physically strong, struggling with something like this. So how old was he when he was diagnosed, and how did he find out, like, what, what happened? So actually, I had a conversation with my mom today about the exact specifics of what the doc had said and, and how that happened, okay. just to make sure that I was on the right page. Right. And I was. Um, 
for about a month, he was walking up the stairs, and I didn't know this until today, which really? is interesting. I called my mom before I came yeah. came over here because I was like, let me let me get this straight because yeah. there's something that's missing. Um, and for about a month, when he would walk up the stairs, he'd have to sit at the top of the stairs. Huh. But that's something that he kept from my mom mm. for about a month, a uh, month or so. It was something that he was embarrassed by, that he didn't really want anybody to know. Mm. And one day, my mom was walking up the stairs with him, and he had to sit down. And that is what started the process of him saying, oh, no, this could be something. She's like, oh, no, we got to go to the doctor yeah. to get blood work done and, and whatnot. And um, we've got to see what's up. So unfortunately, when that happened, he goes in on a Wednesday by a Friday after. Well, he goes in for he goes in for testing on Wednesday. Results come back on Friday. He has a follow up. Uh, they do two or three other tests before he even gets home from that appointment, mm -hmm. they call him back and say, you've got to get to the ER now. You're internally bleeding. <gasps> and we didn't realize it until now. You've got to get to the ER now. They thought it was a heart problem. They thought there was something something going on. Uh, his hemoglobin, I don't yeah. know if you're familiar, yeah, 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 yeah. was at four. You have like 11 so, to 14 or something like say, that. I think like, it's close four. to 12, right? Is it 12? Or, yeah, yeah 11, some, 14. Somewhere, sure, somewhere sure, in sure. 11, 14. Four. Oh. He was internally bleeding. I didn't know it. Didn't know it at all. Like, how so, does that even happen? Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know. My dad was, for as convicted as he was in, in what he believed in, he yeah. was also extremely hard-headed. Uh, and, you know, selfless servant, but also, like, I don't need any help. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a, that's a very masculine, you know, that's I've got the it. mentality. I'm good. Those are the men of the world, right? Yeah, Be a I man. Fucking yeah. suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> so he went in and then, you know, the particulars of, of everything that transpired there for the next couple years, I'm not super, super clear on. Yeah. A lot of that is fuzzy because I did try to pull myself out of sure. it and deny that it was even going sure. on. But that would be the start of his, uh, of his battle with cancer. And, and towards the end, I mean, stuff is... Um, stuff is very, very clear. And I have a visceral, uh, I had some, some visceral experiences, uh, mm. even recant, recounting the story, talking to Sabon, uh, in yeah. that podcast episode that you that listened to. That was the story like, that I was like, oh my God, you need to tell this story. So let's back up just a little bit. How old were you when he was diagnosed? Uh, so he passed when I was 16. So okay. about three and a half so years, which is like 12 12 and a half, yeah. Okay. 12, okay. 13. And then what kind of cancer did he have? Uh, stage 3B colon cancer to start. Oh, wow. He ended up passing from metastatic liver cancer. Okay. But it started as stage 3B well, colon cancer. Well, and like cancer. you said, no one really dies from cancer. Yeah, right? correct. I mean, you know, unfortunately, what, what he actually died of is that metastatic liver cancer by cause of death of basically insides melting. Like, oh, and it's God. such a, a weird weird thing to talk about because you're yeah. like really yeah. the bodies can do that yeah yeah they can it's amazing what your bodies can do good or bad right yeah the uh the capability of the human body is ridiculous yeah just like the capability of the human mind right I mean, it's in both directions right right so for those three years you kind of like you were in denial right i acted like everything was okay yeah i was the you know the the adolescent male that uh that had everything figured out and everything was going to be okay and I held the line with church. I held the line with parents' friends. I held the line with, oh, everything happens for a reason. God's in control. And just, I just held the line on everything that my, my mom and dad both stated all the time because I didn't really want to think about it. 
at what point did you say, holy shit, this is real? When Chase Burnett died after drowning in a hot tub six months after my dad passed. Wow. Not even six months, what was that? Three, four. Yeah. So even when he passed, you weren't even, you were still in denial? I wasn't in denial. Or I had accepted that he wasn't here, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, I didn't let myself feel. Mm. I was the last one standing next to him before he passed, before he took his last breath. Can I, was, I ask like what, how, like those last few moments, like where were you? What were you doing? Yeah, we were in the living room. He was in a hospice bed uh -huh. uh, and he was, he was laid out and had been in a coma for 72 hours. It was Wednesday evening. I had literally just gotten out of the shower. My hair was still wet. Yeah. My older sister was banging on the door. My mom and my little sister had gone to Walmart for the first time. And they had, the first time they left the house in 30 days. Oh, my God. Yeah, right before he fell into a coma, um, he had some uh, – he finally had some relief of pain. Mm -hmm. So hospice had given him meds, and they were in the, they were in the fridge or freezer or wherever. Uh, and he had morphine drops. Mm -hmm. And my dad was so against medication, so against – not medication if you have some serious ailment that's going on, but right. he was, again, hard-headed and, right. no, be a man. Yeah. You know, I don't need it. Uh, he also didn't like to not be in control. Yeah. Again, another masculine yeah, quality there. totally. But... It's also that generation, too, right? Yes. Our, your generation's very different, thank God. I yes. Think. Getting there. Most of We're us, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's Most a whole other us. podcast. We'll yeah. bring you back for that. Um, but, you know, he was... He didn't like to lose control, and yeah. more so from the... I think that it was more in his family's family's past with alcoholism and other things he really was careful what kind of medication he took even through the the stint with cancer because he didn't yeah. want to get to a place where he then had a dependence on something and then couldn't fly again and like mm. was really worried about all that because he loved he loved flying right i mean we flew small planes as as kids like he took us so up all the cool. time that day that he actually was walking up the stairs and had yeah. to sit down we flew mm. we flew when he got diagnosed with cancer that day in a small plane while he's they, bleeding internally yeah and he didn't even know it jesus mm -hmm. and he still has medical at that point uh he got grounded after that yeah uh you know the fa you get grounded which is like i mean that had to have been a shot to the heart right yeah absolutely him? because he didn't even think anything was going on with the heart right. at all but heart things are like oh, we can't yeah, have you can't take that we can't liability. even take that risk you have to you have to there's so many so many tests that you yeah. have to have and and things go on but um you know on that Wednesday night, coming out of the shower, thinking nothing is is going on, right after church basketball practice with all my guys that I go to, I went to high school with, and then coming downstairs after my sister's just beating on my door, my childhood room door, I'm like what is going on? Can we chill out? Everything is fine, uh, and she's just crying. You need to come downstairs. You need to come downstairs. And my my mom's side, mom, uh, my so my grandma on my mom's side was there, uh, and was there to just comfort my mom. It was interesting because in the 30 minutes that my mom and my little sister left to go to Walmart to go pick up things, he passed. And he passed after everyone else had sat there and talked to him. Grandma had read him a letter that somebody wrote from the family about the impact that he had on their lives. And slowly but surely, the life just left him. I mean, he was very, very loud and he was in a coma, but he was just breathing, like wheezing. And you could, you could hear the life being pulled out of him. That makes my stomach churn because I can't like even fathom a being a human that has to go through that and b being a, a sorry I'm gonna like lose it because my dad is so important to me. Um, I can't imagine watching that. 
Sorry. Um, it was shocking as a uh, as a 16 year old kid that was like, "This isn't real." I mean, for the last three and a half years, I said, "No, nah, Dad's gonna make it out of this." Right. Are you, right. Like are I'm you, 39, I can't even think about my dad. Yeah. Passing. I mean, like, and I was like, are you, the the thing that ran through my head was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Yeah. My dad, of all people, is gonna make like all of your and this is aggressive but i was like all of all of your family and and right. your friends and right. whatever, they're not strong enough to make it out of this but right. my dad is right. my dad will fucking make it through yeah. this because it's larry gillespie yeah you don't play with larry gillespie yeah. that's someone that you don't get on the wrong side of because he loves hard and he defends hard yeah that's who he is and he deserves to be here right yeah that's and why I'm... would he be taken of all right. people that we know of all right. shitty individuals yeah. In our space in, in Peachtree City, why is he being taken, not being one of them? Right. And Come somebody on. that takes care of themselves and is takes uh, care of others. Right, takes care of others and it's so it's gives so freely unfair. of his time, his money, his expertise, his resources. Gosh. Give the shirt off his back, the car out of the garage, all the tools out of the garage too. Like Oh, you need a you need a bed to sleep in? Okay. My wife and I will sleep in James's bed. James can go to the couch and you can have our room. Right. That kind of service. That kind of guy. So, good lord! So your your mom and sister come home for like, did you, are there cell phones at that? Like this is what only ten years ago, right? So yeah, there's cell phones. Do you call? Like, what do you do? What's your next so step? So Terry, I believe Terry or or, uh, or Denny, my grandma, mm-hmm. uh, called them and let them know that they need to come back and to not speak too loudly because Hannah is sitting next to my mom and like. She needs to be told by everyone sitting down because she's young. How old is young. your sister at that point? I mean, she's she just turned. I mean, in August, in August she'll be twenty-two. So she's four years younger. You're no, sixteen. She's, she's 12. twelve. Right. Young. Good lord. Still got bangs at this point, I think. Like front <laughs> bangs. Um, but just you know, I know for me it was it was such a an odd and and very aggressive experience. Yeah. I can't imagine being younger. Right. I can't imagine being the age. That I was when I first got in trouble for just being a little rebel. Yeah. And losing dad then. Yeah. I don't know where I would be if that happened. Right. At right. all. I have no idea. Probably be sitting in jail somewhere. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Gosh. I've gotten a lot of a lot of second second chances for uh-huh. the 19th time, uh-huh. you know? Uh, and in my adult life, I mean, not the same track record, obviously. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my childhood could have gone on a lot of different ways. Right, right. So you're sitting there at 16, and you literally watch him take his last breath. Your mom comes home. Your sister comes home. What, like, you're, are you just not feeling anything emotionally? Like, do you remember, or is it kind of like a blur? Mm, my my thinking went immediately from this isn't real to no, this is real, and now dad's not here. It's time for me to be the man of the house okay. immediately. Okay. So before even two hours have a, had, had passed after his passing, all of his friends are at our house. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone, like seven fellow deacons at the sure. church and all of his, all of his friends, <clears throat> somebody that he was in the Marine Corps with that lived close, came over. Yeah. Uh, his pilot friends, like everyone from Delta and Northwest, everyone, like our whole house was filled with people mm. almost two hours later. And I remember just just being like, well, the torch has been passed, right. and it's time for me to be the man. Right. So what does a man do? Well, at this time, I'm like, well, men don't cry. Mm. Well, men don't X. Well, men don't A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. So because of that, I've got to be the man of the house now. And what's interesting is people 
I think his friends didn't realize that they did this, but they reinforced that it was time for me to be the man God, by even so... communicating that in that format without understanding how I took that. Right. I, and the type, I mean, it's one thing to maybe say to like a 20, 22 year old, but to, to, to put that sort of pressure on a 16 year old when you're already dealing with 16 year old things anyways, I mean, that's like, that's not even fair, right? That's not even appropriate. I mean, but at, at 16, adults don't know what to do either. I mean, at 16, you know, for a lot of people and maybe not everyone, but for me, you're exploring with your sexuality, right. like you're, you're getting to know the opposite sex right. or the same sex or what right. have you. Like you're, you're going down a path of exploration right. to things that are, that are novel to you in whatever format that, that looks like for yeah. you. But that's where your head's at when right, you're at that right. age and you're like trying to exist through through high school and, and be cool right. and also be be nice but not yeah. be a dick but also still have fun. Like right. you're going through a lot of things. You're still in the developmental stages in a lot of ways in a lot of things yeah. to then be told, hey, you got to be the man. Right. And then not realizing until retrospectively years and years later, wow, because it was reinforced immediately after dad passing that I needed to be the man. I just said, okay, well, men do X because my subscription to what a man is is this, and some of that is imparted by by dad, but some of that is also culturally at the time. Right. You know, men weren't crying. Right. The strong men were going to they were they were war hardened and they were going to yeah. battle. And yeah. That's it. Yeah. You know, they weren't writing books. They weren't having podcast. Like they weren't doing that kind of stuff. So you just went on automatic pilot, really, at that point. I did, and yeah. I just said, "Well, I'm going to be the man. I'm going to be what I think a man is. Sure. What I know a man to be, and I'm going to exhibit some of the beneficial qualities that my my father has, and some of the experiences that he shared with others, and the light that he brought to them. But I'm going to make sure that I do that at the expense of nobody else but myself. Mm -hmm. So six months after that. What yeah, and it's actually a little bit less than six months. I mean, this is we're talking November, and and on three four, um, a friend of mine from from high school uh, smokes synthetic spice, Ooh. you know, synthetic marijuana, and um, drowned in a hot tub. Oh, and so that is actually where Chase's law came about. Uh, really? Chase, yeah. Oh, no that kidding. Was, that was a buddy of mine. Yep. Wow. We went to church together. We were in the same school. He played soccer. Uh, I didn't play soccer. We were more tied together from uh, going to First Baptist in Peachtree City than okay. we were anything else. We okay. weren't, we didn't hang out day in, day out. Um, you know, we were cordial and, and we had a relationship with his family. And right. so we spent time together, but we were not. So you weren't at that party? No. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, and it wasn't at a party. It was at his house. Oh, it was at his house. Because he was grounded. Because oh. of the party we all went to like <gasps> three weeks before, four weeks before. Oh my God. I can't even imagine how like his parents must have dealt with that oh so how did that hit you then so that hit me i was called on i was at a i was at a i was at a friend's house um that night and i get a call from my mom at like 6 a.m and we i mean we had been drinking the night before and i was right. like what are you calling me at 6 a.m for what is yeah. happening so i answer and she's yelling were you with chase and da 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 and i was like no what are you talking about and then she kind of elaborated on what right. on what went down and was like, hey, I need you to come over to the brunettes, and I need you to help us with this. And I said, help you with this? What do you mean? Yeah. She's like, well, what I need you to do is I need you to come over, and I need you to call all of his friends. And I was like, interesting. Mm. So you need me to call all of his close friends and let them know that he's passed and that they need to come over. Well, I started doing that, mm -hmm. and it was not at this point that you know the whole dad thing came back at all. It was not really until – 
his service that I spoke at, mm-hmm. that his father asked me to speak at, um, and offer a message of hope to a packed out church, right. with 400, 500 people in it. Um, right before we went over to a soccer game where they honored him mm-hmm. on the field. But it was not until that funeral. So I'll skip the, you know, the, the, the communication to his friends. That was very interesting. It was a lot of denial from them and it yeah. kind of mirrored how I denied that my, my yeah. dad was gone because they were like, you know, I went by Jamie in high school okay. uh, or in middle school and then James in high school. Um, I switched over. I, I thought <laughs> I was like, Jamie, that's just, I like James better. So uh, I switched over, but a lot of people that knew me in, high, in middle school still call so me. They're like, no, Jamie, like, no, yeah. that didn't happen. Stop yeah. lying. That's not a funny joke. Yeah. That's not. And it was interesting because I was the first point of contact with like 20 or 30 of them. Sure. And being called a liar and whatnot as I'm standing in the Burnett's house. And, and it was, I'll fast forward to the, to the funeral. Um, the funeral was, was interesting. The message went, I mean, I wrote a speech, went up there, talked, and um, it wasn't until the conclusion of the funeral that literally I'm sitting in a pew Mm -hmm. in the church that I grew up in and uh, everyone's starting to clear out and go do basically visitation with the family. This was not, you know, open or closed casket or anything. This is just at the church just after uh, there's food and whatnot. And I just broke down. And I broke down because it reminded me very aggressively from seeing other people doing the same thing that I did with dad. It reminded me that this is another shared experience with death that um, I handled maybe better because I had just gone through it. But what I didn't do is address the initial cut. Mm. I put a bandaid on a bullet hole Mm -hmm. and put you know, puffed my chest out and was the strong person in this situation for them. And it's funny because a lot of that came because of how I had reacted to my dad. Right. So it's reinforced. It content. This is a, right. like a feedback loop. Yeah. It just continues to reinforce the behavior. Uh, and it's no one's fault. It's my responsibility to deal with. But it was at that moment that I was like, damn, Yeah. I haven't addressed, I haven't addressed any of this with my dad. So you knew that you're sitting in this moment, you're having this breakdown in the middle of church or at the end of the ceremony or the, um, the visitation. And was anyone around? Like, did anyone see this happen? There was three or four of his closest friends that I think it clicked. Were you like trying to hold it together the whole yes. time? Cause I know when I am about to break down, like I try so hard to hold it together and it makes it yeah. worse. Right. I was breathing very deep. Right. And- you know, diaphragm breathing, practicing like, all the things, big, big, and like trying to trying to hold back the tears. Yeah, and yeah. then when they dismiss a, a man, service, be a man, be yeah, a man. When mm-hmm. they dismiss a service and everyone got up and walked out, um, there's two or three people that were left back, and that's when I just I just broke down. I couldn't hold it back anymore. So I'm basically sitting in the in the in the pew by myself with three or four other people in there. Period. And the uh, the group that was on the on the stage that was going to, that had just wrapped up playing music. Right. Uh, and I just broke down like, mm-hmm. aggressively. And it's almost, it's almost uh, pretty telling because the individuals that are the closest to him that saw this, for whatever reason, maybe call it intuition, call it whatever, they knew what was happening. Mm. And it was interesting because they just sat with me. They didn't try to, try to bombard Console me. They didn't try, or, no, they didn't, oh, yeah. you're going to be okay. Right, they right. just said, hey, we're not going anywhere. We're right here. If you yeah. need to talk, we're happy to talk now or later or what have you. Yeah. Do you think you they knew lost. that it had that it was stemming from your dad? I think so. Yeah. 
because there were people that were in my life that were not as close to me, but they knew that I had just lost. Well, and if you weren't that absolutely close with Chase, then they were probably like, not that you're overreacting, but it could just be like, okay, that seems maybe a little out of character. So it's probably going seems, back six yeah. months ago to when you're. Seems out of character for, for James or Jamie, yeah. depending on who you're talking to. Uh, but then also, seems out of character for that, but then, wait a second, he just lost his dad. Right. So I think it's a compounding right. effect. And, you know, I I wish that Chase was still here. I mean, he was a hell of a guy and had a lot, had a bright future ahead of him. Um, but it, it was interesting because that experience is the first time that then I acknowledged and was right. like, okay, got to address this yeah. about well, dad. It's, it's pretty incredible because I don't think a lot of 16, 17-year-olds would have that sort of awareness. I think a lot of adults in their late 20s, early 30s, 40s, 50s, I mean, there are people 60 years old that have had things like this happen to them that they still haven't addressed. And it's really unfortunate because it's going to affect you for the rest of your life. Like, your life is never going to be the same. However, mm -hmm. what you do with it can be different. And it isn't until we take responsibility for things that we have been through and like you said, there's never anyone to blame, mm -hmm. you know, like even people that do have the, the, I, I interviewed Kim Shaper and it was one of my favorite interviews. I mean, she was molested by her grandfather and like that should never happen to any human being in the world. And that is not her fault, but unfortunately it becomes your responsibility. Like it's really unfortunate that now you have to deal with that. And not to say there's a timeline to be like, okay, now I have to deal with this. Like you have to go through the steps and the stages. And it sounds like you were basically forced into going through the steps and the stages with that breakdown and almost like, thank God that happened then. Right. Yeah. Thank God. It ha I mean, I'm glad that it happened at 17 right. and not 25. Right. Because if it happened at 25 and not 17, I'd be a different person. Totally. I'd be in a different place. Totally. So how did that breakdown change the next 10 years um, for you it it started it started me down a path i mean i when i went to college um you know the rest of high school lived it out got back into the social scene after i got back out of trouble after uh, my dad passed and i mean i was you know still partying still doing this yeah. and that i took a different approach with it it was not my life it was something right. that i attended i you know partook less in festivities, but still was present at situations sure. where people were at. Um, and then my whole my whole senior year, I dual enrolled. So I was at a college campus for a class, and I was only at Macintosh for AP Spanish. That's okay. it. So but you said your original plan was not to go to college, right? Correct. So but what? I was doing dual enrollment at this point because I had just recently turned, after my dad passed, I had a decision to go on a full ride or not to North Georgia or Georgia State for the military. Okay. When my dad passed, I decided I'm not going that route anymore. Mm. And so I cut ties. So I cut ties with the scholarship offer, the national scholarship offer from Georgia State and North Georgia. Because um, literally the weekend before he went into the coma, I was at a leadership conference at North Georgia, UNG, Dahlonega, mm -hmm. to track into the military. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was literally a first weekend to get familiar with the cadre there, to go down the path of going to a, a military college and then going and commissioning after. So was that really more his, was that more of his goal for you? Or did you, were you just confused and be like, well, this is what I'm going to do because this is what everyone in my family has done? Or uh, I don't know if it's necessarily, I think that it, there was heavy influence from him okay. to, to serve in some format. Yeah. I mean, 
all of my mentors, with the exception of one, served in the military. Okay. Uh, most of them have been in some type of law enforcement or some other, I guess you could say, profession that is, uh, you know, and law enforcement isn't looked at in the same way that it has always right, been right. Um, for some certain reasons here and there. But, you know, people, those other mentors that used to be in the military are pilots, they're lawyers, they're, they're in these professional professions, right. so to speak, uh, that demand a certain level of respect, right. demand a certain level of attention to detail and what have you. And so I thought that, you know, because my dad was a Marine for 25 years, I need to carry on the legacy. And even if it's four years, let me go, Sure. let me go commission or what have you and do, do four years active, four years reserve, four years ready reserve after that. And you know, yeah. if I don't want to make a career about it, out of it, cool. I have uh, benefits and right. you know, I have some right. experience and let me go somewhere else. But it was at the point that, uh, you know, he passed and then Chase passed. And I was like, you know, I don't know that I want to I want to go down that path. Yeah. I don't know that I'm willing to sign on the dotted line for the next 12 years, uh, even though that wasn't active, just 12 years in general. Right. I don't know that I'm, I'm willing to do that. So I turned all that down and then applied to Georgia and decided to go that way. Uh, but because of my decision to do that, uh, it's actually led me into a bunch of places like Studio Art Minor. Right. Prioritizing Spanish, being fluent enough in Spanish that when I went to the sheriff's office, then I could translate and interpret. Wow. Coming in through the back door. So, cool. like, that is what I was doing there. And that was very interesting. Um, so, it, uh, it shaped, it shaped a lot of things, but it's also, dad really wanted me to serve. Mm. And I was like, you know, I think that that's a great thing and it could be very beneficial to my, my journey. But it's not something that was like, a, I have to do it once he wasn't here. Right, right. Well, I also think that generation too, you know, they think service is one of like three different ways. When in reality, like you can be a servant all day, every day and everything that you do mm -hmm. by, by being a human being that leads by example and that is helpful of others no matter what capacity. I mean, you could be a, a garbage truck person and be a servant, yeah. right? I mean, there's still there's still service going on, yeah. right? Yeah, but that mentality, it's it's just a little bit different than the way that I think this generation and the next generation is going to start thinking about things. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of what you did, you know, with your professional route, you took this detour. But like, what about your emotional journey? Um, I really lacked empathy until I was at the sheriff's office. Okay. Uh, I accepted the things that happened to me and... They were part of my journey, and they were part of the the things that made me who I am. But yeah. I lacked a lot of empathy until I was in the sheriff's office. Uh, I didn't really wasn't in tune as in tuned with my emotion, nor was I an evolved male, so right. to speak, uh, until I did six months, six days a week, sixteen hours a day in the sheriff's office. Yikes! And that was a time. Huh. That was definitely a time. So my emotions, I didn't always. Uh, necessarily ignore them, right? But I was just like, ah, uh, oh, let me throw the baby out with the bathwater, yeah. and uh, in a lot of situations when emotions had to do with it, and so you know, failed relationships, and right. the majority of that is because I didn't want to act like an adult, uh, and didn't want to face the music uh, that hey, you know, it takes two to tango. Um, so it's <laughs> if the only consistency between failed relationships is you. And there's not another person that's right. consistency. Who's what's the common denominator? Here? Yeah, it might be something that you right? need to look at. You know, so uh, God, I feel like so many females need to listen to that too. I'm like, ladies, ladies, let's let's take a step back. Like, let's. Yeah, you know, not all men are trash. Right. Not all women are crazy. Sure. Like, uh, there's sure. there's these broad strokes that we want to apply to people, but a lot of times it's because we're projecting trauma. Right. We're projecting 
rejecting unhealed wounds. Well, and it's really hard to look in the mirror and be like, oh, shit, this is on me. Like, I, I tell my story all the time. What My life didn't change mm-hmm. until I looked in the mirror and was like, holy shit, Meg, this is all you. This is all you, girlfriend. And the things that happen to you, again, not your fault, but like you kind of built this life for Your yourself. responsibility to figure the hell out, though. A thousand percent. Well, and at least to take the steps, right? It's going to take, it took me 10 years to really figure it out and I'm still figuring it out. Like I'm still a work in progress as we all should be, mm-hmm. but getting to a place when you can finally say, okay, I've got control for the most part and I know, and I'm well aware of what's going on now. That takes a lot of fucking work. Yeah. But it's that voluntary, subs- voluntary subscription to doing the work. Sure. You know, and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the holistic psychologist. Yeah. Talks about that a lot. Yes. Uh, I, actually, work, somebody told book. me about her recently. I just started following her. She's got a new book yeah. that she just released, and it's a lovely book, and I would recommend people check it out. Uh, but you've got to voluntarily subscribe to do the work yourself. A thousand percent. Uh, and it can't be something that someone else forces you into. No. Not a relation, not a romantic partner, yeah. not a friend, yeah. not a mom, not a dad, not a child, yeah. not your kid. Like, yeah. You, not your dog. Like right, you can't right, right, use, right, right, right. It cannot be external. It's got to be something that you want yeah. to do. But it's interesting that uh, that you say that, you know, try to figure it out because I think a lot of people don't want to look in the mirror and don't want to address that because yeah. then it, it arms them with the responsibility of having to figure it out. Because if you've acknowledged, if you're not just pleading ignorance, mm-hmm. if you've acknowledged mm-hmm. that you're X, you're X type of way or A type of way or B type of way, uh, and then you don't do anything about it. That's on you. That's 100% on you. But yeah. if you continue to ignore it and you plead ignorance and you right. don't address it and you don't let anyone know that you know it, in a lot of ways people think that they can get away with being that way right. because, oh, well, I haven't admitted. Because I haven't admitted, I don't have any responsibility right. so for it. So it's not it. actually happening because it Correct. doesn't exist. And it's, it's not that that's actually the case of what's going on, but we get in this place where we logic our way. Okay, well, right. if I'm doing A, B, C, D and – and I don't, I don't, I don't talk about E, then we'll be okay. Yeah. You know, I'll get it figured yeah. out. And if relationships fail, then eh, whatever. Right. If, right. if this happens or if I push people away or I've got these tendencies or those tendencies, whatever, you know, I'm not going to address it. Did you ever see a therapist or did you ever go through any sort of grief, you know, other than doing your own work, which sounds like you did, a, you do a lot of your own work, which I definitely want to get to talk about too. But did you ever go to a traditional therapist or psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever? It's interesting uh, that you ask that because I have people in my personal network mm-hmm. that are psychiatrists, yeah. psychologists. Uh, a buddy of mine just got board certified psychiatrist, just left, is in residency now. Um, I've never, I've never spent time going to therapy. I don't believe that there's anything wrong with going to mm-hmm. therapy, and in fact, it is a very good thing that we should normalize yeah. that people have access to. Um, I have decided. For myself that I and a lot of this just stems from a control thing like mm-hmm. I have a desire to read oodles and oodles and oodles of information yeah. and go in on studies and and go in on on things to do with mental health and what have you uh, down that path to figure out where I sit sure along there and not necessarily self-diagnose but do as much work as I can do myself yeah before I ever ask for help yeah and, you know that's a little bit of me being stubborn but I've found that a lot of times you know, through uh, mindfulness practices like meditation, like journaling, yeah, uh, like being forced to journal from my guys that I meet with every Sunday mm-hmm. that uh, are like, James, that's the one thing you're not doing and you're having a lot of problems. Yeah. So <laughs> we need to get into this, you know. Um, but things like that and then just trying to be understanding yeah. and listening to perspectives because there's a lot of there's a lot of people and the podcast I can attribute a lot of the growth 
in the last 12 months too. We talk about everything. Yeah. We talk about a lot of things. We've had people on. We we explore topics that other people bring to our attention. And there's a lot of things that I've learned from my co-host. Yeah. Being like, okay, don't project. Right. You know, let's talk right. about this. Let's talk about why you feel that way. Let's talk about, you know, this topic, how this uh, applies per- personally, anecdotal, to this situation, this situation, this situation. But no, to answer your question, I mean, there's – no, and I haven't seen a I'm always therapist. just curious about that because I know it works for me. And I, I, this is the reason that the reason I did this podcast and started it is because we all have a fucking story. Everyone has been through something, whether, you know, you can't compare traumas, mm-hmm. grief is grief, pain is pain, whatever caused that is different, but the emotion is still the same. And it's just like, I look at it exactly like physical fitness. We all have mental health, whether you're healthy or not. You all have physical health, whether you're obese or not, it's still the same. And what works for me is different than what works for that person and that person when it comes to the gym. Mm -hmm. And I equate that to mental health. And I always like to ask people what they do because I want listeners to listen to all these episodes and be like, okay, this is what Megan did. This is what Heath did. This is what Lillian did. And they try different little bits and pieces and they figure out what works, works best for them because there is no, unfortunately there's there are books that we can write that help and they guide us, but it's, again, it's going back to taking responsibility to what works for you. So I just wanted to hear, you know, what, what works for you and what you've kind of been through and have taken responsibility for. So you have a small, small guys group or whatever. And so, yeah. So first and foremost, what, uh, what shifted my perspective on personal responsibility Two books, mm-hmm. one called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins okay. and one called Extreme Ownership by Jacko Willink. Okay. Both Navy SEALs. Both wrote books on one of them on their experience. David Goggins details uh, his his past and his history with uh, physical, psychological, and a couple other types of abuses mm. and walks through his story there. Wrote a book uh, about how to deal, cope, and move through those places, how he has done it. Right. Uh, and some of that is through physical fitness and in – it's interesting because this is very triggering to people. Yeah. Intentional physical suffering mm. to get to the core of who you are. Hmm. So, you know, he's got the book is called Can't Hurt Me. Uh, and it's interesting the way that he's framed he's the way that he's framed his journey with uh, with mental health and how he gets to the core of who he is and how frequently he does it. Right. And how intentionally he does it and how often he does it. Huh. And so Reading that book gave me a little bit of perspective on, oh, wow, if this dude who was the 37th, I believe, maybe 36th, black Navy SEAL ever, wow, couldn't swim before he went to Bud's, could not, was negatively buoyant, could not swim, <laughs> but passed Bud's, became a Navy SEAL, yeah. now does Ironmans, now does 100-mile races, does Badwater 135, and runs oh. it every year. Oh. Is in his forties, right? If he and do is it. doing this. Like, if this, if someone that came, and before he went into the Navy was three hundred plus pounds, mm-hmm. and got down to one seventy five, wow, to go through buds, you've got to be. If that man can go through all of that, and um, and get to the place that he's at, what the hell am I doing? Right. What the hell am I doing? Being a a, a person that grew up with two loving parents, right. In an affluent place yeah. in the United States, not worried about getting shot in the street, mm-hmm. not worried about my car getting broken into, not worried about food on my table, not worried about a roof over my head. Wow. Gave me a lot of perspective. 
What's interesting is that that book was read on the front end of me starting at the sheriff's office. Mm. So that was read right before I went went into that place. Extreme Ownership was also read, and I read it. I've read it a couple times, but for a while, I was just like, "Yeah, that's cool. That's cool." But that doesn't yeah. apply to me. Like, yeah, that doesn't apply yeah. to me because I mean, well, I'm not going through anything. It is yeah, what yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't yeah. need to be better. It was not until I got together in 2020 in January with a group of guys. We got together with 18, or actually it's 19, 2019. 18 dudes. We went on a kickoff retreat. Uh, that I was a guest on, I was not leading, mm. um, and went. I guess this, this is this is 2020. This is the beginning of 2020. It's probably, uh, it's probably the last time you could actually gather with 18 people, right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. On that, um, we met in person every week. You did every single Good week for you. We met in person every single week and broke bread with one another. But it's interesting. We had a group. Uh, we went on the retreat. And it was given to us. I was not really a part of planning. And then we established a core group of guys. It started as three, or it started as four. And then I brought two other people into it. A buddy of mine named Caleb and a a Savon, my podcast co-host. I brought them into the fold. And there were only a few rules. And one was that you're here voluntarily. Mm -hmm. But if you're here, you're subscribing to being completely open and honest with everyone here. And you're also subscribing to the peer accountability for anything that you say that you're going to do that you follow through. Mm. And you'll have five other people looking back at you every week. Checking in. Based on what you said that you were going right, to do. Right, right, right. So we did that through uh, through 2020. Uh, and coming up on into 2021, there was obviously a little bit of a shift. We threw a retreat in January of 2021. Oh, wow. Uh, a kickoff retreat. And we had 26 people there, mm. something like that. But we organized it this time, and we all spoke, and I ran yeah. the media for the weekend and did the workouts, uh, and that was definitely an interesting experience. But shortly after that, about a month or two, we split. So we took the group of six, and we actually split. So three of us went one way, got it, and then the other three went a different way. And we did that because we realized that our goals weren't aligned with what we were trying to hold each other accountable for, mm-hmm. and it was very hard for somebody that's trying to start a $7 trillion company that's mm-hmm. a tech company to, to right. fix the world's tech problems right. and somebody that wants to just go be an executive coach, the best executive coach working in a big conglomerate, but be someone in a in in a company and not running the company mm-hmm. and somebody that wants to start the biggest tech company that's ever existed, there's no company that's 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 worth that. You know? So it's yeah. interesting. So, it's very hard because we're not aligned. How do you relate, right? And it was very hard for like for if the guy that wants to start this this seven trillion dollar company, yeah. for that to be, uh, hey, I need you, who's saying that your morning routine is is your goal for the week, to hold me accountable for you know raw coding, right. thirteen parts of this app. Yes. Like I need you to hold me accountable for that. And then when I'm what am I holding you accountable for? Getting up in the morning on time, making your bed. <laughs> and so it's not to say that anyone's journey should be. Uh, should be pushed down or, or thrown out or right. anything like that. Everyone's in a different spot, but it is interesting because when we became more aligned and we start when we split and we started meeting separately. Yep. This this group of three now, myself, Savon, and AJ. We are leaps and bounds over the past eight weeks, further than we were when we were all together. Because you're all on the same. We're on the same path. page. Yeah. We're all on the same path to build something at the same level. Right. And I think that that's important. We didn't initially think that that was important. We thought just peer accountability and community was important right. based on the subscription to have people hold you accountable for what you said you were going to do. 
but there's another piece and that's right. that we're on the same path or right. we're going in the same direction or we're trying to hit the same level. There's nothing wrong with not wanting to hit a $7 trillion company. Right. There's nothing wrong at all with that. There's actually nothing wrong with you focusing on getting your bed made in the morning right? because that's important. And that's a fundamental piece of, and something that if you don't do, right. it's going to be very hard to hit bigger things. Yeah. And so it was very interesting, but this group, I attribute, I attribute my consistency for the to, last to these three guys or two other two other well, guys to the sixth the group of six from right. January of 2020. Yeah, and and then even on to now these three for the last two months start another LLC a month ago. I'm already running 100 miles an hour on it because right. of me being held accountable by these two people. So you talk about being in tune with your emotions. We also speak freely. Mm-hmm. Anything that's going on, any topic, nothing is off the table. Mm-hmm. Everything is confidential, unless otherwise noted. Right. It is unless only it's on your something. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is only something. But you know, we're talking generalities. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. I would yeah. not divulge yeah. anybody's information, yeah. anyone's private information. And there are things that we do use. And if you've, uh, if you listen to any of the podcast episodes, there are times when we reference the group and we reference certain things and lessons sure. learned from the group. However, we pull names out of it. Right, right, right. And we go more general. Well, it's more general. Yeah. It needs to be because unless that person is, is it's coming out of their own mouth, it's yeah. not our story to tell. Yeah. So what other things you, you, you have a small group, you obviously read a lot. You're very well versed in, you know, lots of different topics. Love and psychology. I do. absolutely okay. love it. Yeah. Jordan Peterson is a lovely psychologist. I'm very familiar with Nietzsche and a bunch of other people because of Jordan Peterson's recommendations. Okay. Uh, and so. Yeah, I mean, I really so I dive into, into I dive into a lot of psychology and philosophy. Also into fitness, obviously. I mean, for me, I, I, fitness is you know mostly my career, but I got into fitness for my mental health. Was that kind of the Boom. same for you? Yep. Yeah. So I mean, I I played varsity sports and yeah. in high school and whatnot. Uh, and then you lose that because you're no longer an athlete, and you're like, what is what's my, my reason for? Is, my identity is tied exactly. to you know the group sport yeah. and yeah. and you know the medals that can come yeah. and the pins on my shoulder mm-hmm. from wrestling and mm-hmm. and what have you. And it's interesting because, you know, in college I kind of drifted away from that. I mean, I was a part of a CrossFit gym. Yeah, love them. Uh, love them. And still, I when I visit Athens, I go back to that gym and drop in, and I really like uh, CrossFit South in yeah. uh, in Athens, but. Hell, I mean, I was paying $150 for a membership that I didn't use mm. because I was bartending. I mean, I bartended all the way through college. So mm. I was working. Right. Coming out of there, I got back into fitness really around the time, like right before I got into the sheriff's office. Okay. After I had moved back to Peachtree City because I was like, I, I need to test who I am. Like, I don't have the military doing that for me. I right. don't have ex-governing body doing it for me. I'm not pushing myself with this, that, or the other. So I need to figure out sure. who, who, where, I'm... where am I, and yeah. and who am I? Yeah. How tough am I actually? Where do I break? So I actually got back aggressively into fitness to figure out where I broke, mm. and to push myself to a place to see how I would react to things. Yeah. And so you know that sounds, oh, Jane, that's a little aggressive. It is for sure. Well, that's um, what works for you. Yeah, it is. You have a very intense personality. Like I've, I've known you for, for sure. an hour and 20 <laughs> minutes and I can already see that. Like, yeah, that's just who you are. Like, and, and again, it goes back to what works for you for sure. You know, and that's okay. And not everything that like, I, I'm a big spin person, right? I teach and, and some people are like, Oh God, I can't, I would never do that. I'm like, that's totally fine. But you doing a bar class, like I can never do that. So it's yeah. okay. So it's just, it's just who you are and, and what you do. Um, any other like, little things that you do that might that good takeaways for 
anyone listening that might be trying to figure it out. Do you know who Aubrey Marcus is? No. Okay, Aubrey Should Marcus, I? yes, co-founder okay. of Onnit. Oh, okay. Him and Joe Rogan own Onnit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he stepped down as CEO of Onnit not that long ago to pursue the Aubrey Marcus podcast yeah. and continue to run down energy healing and and whatnot and what he was doing. But he's got a book called Own the Day, Own the Life, Own okay. Your Life, and it is interesting because it's pragmatic application to a full day. So it gives you recommendations from the time that you wake up to the time that you go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Something that I found very intentional about that. The most too intentional thing are 30 minutes of vitamin D a day mm. to start your day. If you can manage it. Now, I know, yeah. like, James, it can't happen if it's raining. Right. It can't happen if I got to go to work <laughs> and I got to be at work at seven. Right. I hear you. On the days that you can manage. Yeah. Unprotected vitamin D. Yes. I'm, I'm with you. I'm in the same. I've heard yes. this my whole life and as a lifeguard. So I got lots of unprotected vitamin D when I first started. But now I'm the same. Like I'll go outside and... The first 20 minutes of laying out in this heat, I go no sunscreen because I'm like, I just want to soak it in. Yeah. I think that's so important. And I, I try to do it not at the, the heat of the day, so I yeah. don't have to go shower after. Right, right, uh, right. I try to do it in the morning right. like, as the so sun is really coming It's really important up. for your hands and your face. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And that's so good. that, uh, five minutes of intentional movement before you do anything in the morning. Okay. Literally. Enough of a heart rate jump for your body to start your circulation to start running yeah but not so much that you need recovery okay. if you've moved enough where you feel like you now need to sit and rest you've done too much mm. five minutes of intentional movement when your feet hit the ground that could literally be dirty 30 30 burpees yeah that's it that could be uh that could be you know up dog to down dog right. to up dog to down dog 25 times or yeah whatever. and then you know uh pigeon right like pigeon 30 opening right. you know supine twist like doing doing that just some things to move your yeah, body yeah five minutes yeah i like that uh, i mean outside of those two things i mean i i don't know about you but as far as planning my days yeah you've got to if i want to be productive i've got to put stuff down yeah the night before the morning of what yeah. have you but i cannot just la ti da it's 4 right, p.m think about it <laughs> i know i'm the We're same here. way but i also like like i'm like old school like i have a real planner like yeah. i write it down it's important it's in my phone as well but if like i like to write us, it down if yeah. an emp hits us everything's <laughs> We're gone done We're out. yeah do you have paper <laughs> What's that? I said, you know, if, you, yeah. if an EMP hits us, we're done. If the power goes out and you don't have a charge, you're right, done. Right. I would keep duplicates of things. Yeah. I definitely would. Um, I think that, you know, there's many things. Some some people will say, oh, get the calm or, or, right. or this app or that app and do this and do that. You need to do what works for you. You need to do what makes sense to you. But if you don't know what makes sense mm-hmm. to you, try it all. Try it all. Every single bit of it. Yeah. Maybe... You know, uh, there's there's affirmations. Mm. Affirmations can work really well. Maybe you're not a person. Maybe you think it feels goofy to stand in the mirror and talk them to yourself. Right. Cool. Then play a pre-recorded thing and sit and focus only on that while it's playing behind you. Sure. Maybe that makes sense for you to sit in in down dog and flow into up dog while that's playing. Or maybe it makes yeah. sense for you to close your eyes and sit down, lay lay right. your butt on the floor. Right. And just be, yeah. just rebound just try, while you're like, listening. Just try, try shit. Try it all. But what I'm not going to let you do is not try any of it and then say your life is shit. Yeah. You don't get to have both. If you're going to accept responsibility that your life is your responsibility, then you don't get to just say, I'm not going to do anything. Right. 
you need to strive mm-hmm. to try. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to have it all figured out tomorrow. You don't even have to be on the track to figure right. it out. But you got to take a step forward. And and that's and I am I am with you in thousand percent. But I am also very empathetic to people that are severely depressed because that doesn't even feel like an option, right? So it's like if you had told me that. 15 years ago, I would have walked away from you because it didn't even feel like that was a possibility for Mm -hmm. me. So you also have to be in the right stage to be able to take Mm -hmm. these sorts of steps. And if you're not there yet, then you need to be in the right stage to look at yourself and say, I'm depressed. Here's what I'm dealing with. And this is why I'm depressed. Mm -hmm. Start there and then build up. And like, it seems so daunting because looking back, if someone was like, you're actually not going to be happy for another 10 years out of like fuck it, I'm out. Like, I'm going to tap out Why am I here? Yeah. Why am I here? But now that I'm here, I'm so fucking grateful that I didn't tap out. And I'm so, um, doing the work means more now than I could ever have imagined. And that's my goal is to be an example of like, Mm -hmm. I did it and it wasn't necessarily fun and quick and overnight, but it is so doable. And I think you're an example of that too. You know, you went through a very traumatic experience at 16 and you could have gone two ways, really. Yeah. And you're an example of I went this way and I'm leading the path. And, you know, I'm curious to, to hear what are your goals for the rest of 2021? Um, you know, uh, before before I go on into goals, I <laughs> want to say, you know, when I was with Mental Health Movement, yeah. um, two buddies of mine, Zach Daranowski and Jake Goodman, Dr. Jake Goodman now, board-certified psychiatrists, they run mental health movement, uh, and they are all for providing the destigmatization of mental health and the promotion of mental health resources. And so it's interesting. A lot of people think that the the National um, Foundation for Suicide, the NFSP, is just – National Foundation for Suicide Prevention Prevention, is just for people that are – that are at the stage that they would like to take their life. Right. It's not. Yeah. There's many resources that don't cost the user any money. They're funded and they're backed by big ventures, yeah. and big venture money. There are people that are willing to help you. There are people that, regardless of where you're at, if you're not in the place where you can take that step, try to start these optimization things, right. there are people that will listen. Right. And I, I think that it's necessary yeah. for us to make spend just a minute or two on this a thousand minim- percent. minimum to let everybody know that there's you're not even when you feel down and out yeah. there is somebody out there that will that will answer the phone right and i think it's also important to say there are i don't even know how to really describe this because there were word vomit just i know i know there's a point in my life when i did want to kill myself Mm -hmm. and then there was a point in my life when i didn't want to kill myself but i didn't want to live so i think it's okay to 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 be in either one of those spaces because a lot of times people think oh just suicide 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 and it's like i don't really want to kill myself i don't want to go the suicide path but i also don't want to live and that's a very depressing thing too because it's almost like you're not in this pocket of suicide you're not in the pocket where it's it's uh i also hate the term commit suicide i won't even fucking say it but you're you're not in the in the pocket that's recognized by yes by media by by individuals it's accepted as like oh like Like, it's oh 
a lot of people will say, hey, if you're if you're contemplating suicide, right? Um, you know, we see you, right? It's like, but well, what if I just don't want to live? Yeah, and and let me ask you this: Is that because of purpose? I, yeah, I don't I didn't have a purpose. I didn't have a path. I I just wished like I lived in L.A. at the time, and I was like, I would pray to God that, you know, a, a tractor trailer would just take me out on the one on one. And oops, she got in a car accident. She's done. Like I, I never wanted to be my fault that I wasn't living. Yeah. But I didn't want to live, if that makes sense. And I think that's, I think there's a gray area right now with with mental health that suicide gets the attention and then there's this middle area that we don't talk about and i think that's where people struggle the most because once someone is like i'm gonna kill myself like that's it like they they've made the decision they really have it's a it's a tough place to come back from but i think a lot of times we get to this place where life is too hard i've been in this mental state for way too long and i just don't want to live you know but they don't want to be the mother or the father that actually takes their own life and their their son or daughter has to be like, oh, my dad killed himself, right? They don't want that on their kids either. Yeah, they don't want to leave behind a, a legacy that then impacts whoever they left behind yes. for the rest of their life. Correct. And I, I posted something about this, but I will never use the term commit suicide because you commit a crime. You don't commit suicide. It's not. And I, I know that goes against the faith. And I'm, I was born and raised Catholic, so I get that. Oh, I mean, um, we, we don't have to. We don't yeah. have to go down the rabbit hole of religion. <laughs> but uh, but you know, it'll push I guess, people different directions. I don't know. I just don't <laughs> like that term because it sounds. It makes somebody that's having those thoughts feel even worse about themselves, and they already feel the worst possible thing you could possibly feel. Words are important. Yeah. I mean, you know, for I'm sure when you were growing up and when I was growing up, everyone's like, yeah. Sticks and stones may break my bones, yeah. but words will never hurt me, and that's like, bullshit. It's awful. That's just straight bullshit. Yeah. Words, oftentimes, your bones can heal. You can get stuff reset, yeah. and it can come back, and you'll be fine. Yeah. Sometimes those words never leave you. Yeah. Something that you say to someone at 14, they're right. carrying with them at 54. Right. Well, I remember growing up when my my um, when everything first kind of started, I was 15, 16, mm -hmm. and I remember just wishing, like, I, I, I just hope they, they were trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And you're going to see all these doctors and they're taking tests. And I had meningitis at one point and it was like, all these things were happening. And I'm like, I wish I just had like diabetes or something that they could just, um, categorize, categorize and treat me for because Put you into a box. how do you, you wanted treat... to be in a box somewhere? Yeah. Like, how do you <laughs> literally, I'm like, how do you treat something that's so arbitrary? It's just in your mind floating around. Like we can't take a, a scope of your, well, they can now, but you know, this is years ago. They can't well, while just you're say, alive, there's only so many things that they can do right. to say uh, it's definitively X. Right. right. And then we can treat that. No. Like it would have been just so much easier for them to take a blood test and be like, okay, you have this and here's medication for it versus like, okay, we think she's depressed. She's talked about suicide and now we're going to give her these pills that there's a whole nother podcast in that. But, you know, it's just, I don't even know how we got down this, this rabbit hole. But yes, to your point, we should take a, a moment to talk about this. And before you're ready to take the steps, these steps have to be taken if you are severely depressed. Yeah, and it's it doesn't make you any less or more, regardless of where you are in, in this journey. But sure. it's something that needs to be, I mean, we, it needs to be made known that yeah. we're not saying that everyone can literally jump out of bed tomorrow right. and start, start flowing this. for the fight. Right. Like, but you have to try. Yeah, and it, you have to recognize that if that isn't going to work right now, mm -hmm. okay, then what what steps can you take? Right. Because it looks different for everybody. I mean, nobody walks in 
I mean, let's let's take it to to uh, physical fitness for a second. Nobody walks right. in and clean and jerks three hundred pounds. Right, right. You'll tear your shoulders yeah. out. Yeah. Nobody becomes an Olympic gymnast in a day. Like right. no, nobody does all, but you can take a step mm-hmm. to look at your mobility, to look at your conditioning, to look at your yeah. your strength, to start looking at what you're consuming. Yeah. In your mind and in your mouth. Right. Right. Because they're both important. Yeah. And a lot of times we've also now been conditioned and programmed for so long for certain things that it only stacks extra pressure on everything when you try to make a change. Right. When you try to go down a path. So, you know, it's the unfortunate reality that, I mean, everything is pretty complex. Right. um, But. But not at the same time. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because you can honestly and and, here come the people for me, but (laughs) you can focus on everything and nothing at the same time. Yeah, I get that. And I, I think my mentality shifted when I was like 27, 29. I'm like, well, hell, I'm not going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. And if, what if I live another 60 years? I don't want to live like this. So that was when I was like, okay, you're going to have to do something about it. So just making that decision mm-hmm. that you might be around for another 40, 50, 60 years. Not, I'm not even going to say God willing because when you're depressed, it's not really like that's not like well yeah we don't i mean we don't need to yeah, yeah. nobody religion wants, doesn't need to associate no no no, like, not, yeah. no not not about religion like god willing like you're lucky yeah. to be alive that's my set that's mm-hmm. my point like when you're depressed you don't feel lucky to be but alive like i'm not lucky because i don't want to be here kind exactly of yeah so when i got to that decision where i'm like okay i might be around for another 40 50 60 years like i'm either gonna live like this and be miserable or i'm gonna do everything i can to figure it out and i don't like to say fix it even though it almost came out of my mind my, my mouth but when you figure out who you are, what you went through, and why, mm-hmm. then you can take the steps to make changes. But until you're ready to take responsibility, nothing's going to change. Well, I think that can be said for literally everything. Everything. Until you accept full responsibility yeah. for everything that yeah. happens to you, to you yeah. whether it's your fault or not. Right. Look, I mean, there's, there's many situations and many instances where stuff is not your fault. Yeah. If you get hit in your car, you're sitting in a stoplight, someone rams into you right. 85 miles an hour, that's not your fault. Right. But it is your responsibility to figure out how you're going to move forward. And it really sucks, and somebody needs to tell you it's going to suck, and you Someone can have need, that. I mean, we got to be proud. Like, it's not going to be fun. Right, right. But if unfortunately, you had, If you that's... had your health and you had your mobility and someone hits you going that fast, you're probably going to have some lasting ramifications yeah. from that that aren't your fault. Yeah. But you have a choice to accept responsibility for how you're going to move forward. Right. And, and how you're going to figure out what, you're, what steps you're going to take to right. try to figure it out. Or not. Yeah. We could talk for hours. We really could. Absolutely. We really could. So let's let's wrap it up. Um, give me two goals for you personally or professionally this year. Uh, goals. Um, yeah. Or just some things on your radar. Like what do you, you know? Well, I mean, I, I just embarked on the, uh, on the journey of um, kind of shifting the consulting business okay. into a uh, rev share supporting of trainers so okay. handling all the business and uh business and client aspects outside of the actual training itself cool. for trainers so i would like that to get to a place where i've signed 20 trainers nice. uh, by the end of the year so that would be great and then i think the other thing is uh is it's relational development i mean yeah. it's the individuals that i have in my life and my i'm spending more time connecting with more people of varying backgrounds of varying 
uh, ideologies sure. and what have you that I normally would say, ah, there's not massive benefit for us to communicate consistently because I've got too much going on. But I don't want to go in this overworked direction where then everything is optimization or death. Right. You know, and it's like optimize, optimize, optimize. Relationships are this. And I feel that relationships are not transactional. However, it's very hard to make your actions match that when all you're looking at is quantitative metrics. Mm. If you're not looking at qualitative metrics, if you're not looking at quality of time spent with somebody that can give you nothing, mm. yeah. quality of interaction with an individual that you might only have one or two ties to, right? what does that look like consistently? I want to make sure that every relationship that I have is deeper in service. Yeah. Deeper in service to anything that I can bring to the table. Maybe that's listening. Maybe that's podcasting. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's uh, an alternate perspective. Maybe that's a uh, peer accountability. Maybe that's checking somebody that's going down a path that sure. is very detrimental to those around them. Maybe it's literally just being a shoulder. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it's a workout partner. I don't know. But yeah. everyone that's in my life that I am going to consistently interact with, I want to make sure that there's purpose. Yeah. That there's purpose that I'm providing to them. The other direction, that's not up to me. Right. But purpose, at least one Going way. Going your way. Well, that's all you can control. At the end Absolutely. of the day, that's all we can control. I think your dad would be really freaking proud of you. Well, I, don't, I greatly I don't appreciate know that. him. I don't know you that well, but I think you're serving more in this capacity than you probably could have if you'd gone the military route. That's just I me. think it's uh, you know it's a smaller box and you've got to play in certain rules and yeah. I don't have those same rules yeah and I don't have that limited scope right. so you know the world is your oyster as they yeah. say and yeah. uh, we'll see what this this crazy thing that well, life is uh, share your um, your podcast your Instagram where can everybody follow you yeah, find so you reach out to you if you're open to it absolutely um, my personal Instagram is at James M Gillespie. Uh, J-M-E-S-M, -E as in Michael, and then Gillespie, G-I-L-L-E-S, P like Paul, I-E. Yeah, I'll and link it in, the, in your the, bio. Um, the podcast is 8020, E-I-G-H-T-Y, 2-0, the number's 2-0. Uh, and that is on Instagram, on LinkedIn, yeah. on All the YouTube. Yeah, it's, it's everywhere. <laughs> uh, and feel free, anyone that's listening to this, to reach out to me via DM on my personal Instagram if there's anything that I can do for you. You have an and, open account? Anything. What's up? You have an open account? Yeah, anyone can DM me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank so, you so much. This was like No one stone of my left favorite. unturned. Let me right? Know. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. stones, right? Um, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your time. And I appreciate you being open and vulnerable about what it's like for a young boy turning into a man to go through um, probably the most influential experience that you are going to have to go through. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the progression is usually, you know, grandparents have parents, right. have kids, right. grandparents die, parents right. die, kids die. Yeah. After they've procreated if they decide to sure. and it continues to happen like that it's interesting to have something a glitch in the matrix and something else happen yeah. but i do not believe i would be the man that i am today had it not happened so i couldn't be anything but grateful and that's your story thank you james thank you thank you for listening to this episode of the six feet above podcast i'm your host megan armstrong Subscribe so you never miss another episode as a new episode is released every Tuesday. And if you're enjoying the series, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. 
follow the show on Instagram at six feet above podcast to keep the conversation going and feel free to reach out to me directly at megstagram11. This episode is a product of Audiographies, produced by Megan Armstrong and Denor Sapolia, edited by Jacob Smolian, and the music is by Keenan Willis, funded by yours truly. I'll see you next time.